Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. We are done with the 2018 French Open, but we will put a bow on it with my lovely colleague Chanda Rubin. You all know Chanda. She was a former top 10 player, a strong doubles player, retired perhaps prematurely on account of injury, but uh, one of the truly Lovely people in the sport. Um, you'll get a sense of why she is a rising star in uh, tennis media. Nice conversation. Both of us are a little jet lagged. Not so bad going east to west. But um, here's half an hour with the lovely, the talented Chanda Rubin. You ready to talk tennis? Yeah, let's let's talk a little tennis. <laughs> when did you get back? Yesterday. Yesterday night evening. An experienced traveler like you, you're probably not so jet-lagged, right? Well, I had a little trouble. You know, I still have my nights where I don't sleep all the way through on after a long trip overseas. So I kind of woke up early, but I have a baby, so it's not actually bad. I was going to say, at least you don't have a young <laughs> so, child uh, that could disrupt uh, your sleep. Right, right. <laughs> so wh- where'd you learn to dance like that? You got some moves. Uh you know, I'm like probably the worst dancer in my family. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So I have a lot. I have big shoes to to try to live up to, but I do my best. Oh man, good and for I have the a Rubens. good time with it. <laughs> um, so let's let's uh, before we go, let's let's put a let's before we get going, let's let's put a bow on the French. Um, good good tournament overall. I don't know what what struck you. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was an excellent tournament overall. Um, I really enjoyed some of the really competitive matches. Um, obviously, all the way through the second week, we had a number of really competitive, um, tough contests. I mean, un- the sort of unexpected surprise with um, Chekinato getting through, and that was a really good match with team. Um, 
you know, so some of this, some of those sort of unexpected the women's final, I thought was fabulous. And, you know, going three sets and sort of going the distance, you know, it's not often we get a great final that goes the distance. So I was very pleased and, and happy with that. And of course, Rafa, I mean, it's unbelievable being able to win number 11. Well, so you got to throw that number. in. I'm sorry. 11 is a big number. It's, it's, I mean, I can't even fathom 11 tur- winning a tournament 11 times, let alone a grand slam. So it, it's just, it defies, you know, sort of all expectations. But we sort of did expect him to win, which that was the crazy part, and he did it. So I, I was, I thought it was an excellent, an excellent two weeks. I, people are like, why is he crying? And I said, I'll tell you why he's crying. Because <laughs> the, the best he could possibly do at these events is meet expectations. There's nothing right. he can do that will be like, oh, and I, the, oh, he's he's either going to fulfill expectation or leave disappointed. There's like nowhere mm-hmm. to go but across. And then how? I mean, obviously he is one of the greatest players, and certainly of this generation. But how how does he keep meeting expectations with everything that's on the line, with all the pressure, everything at stake, coming back from the physical challenges that he's had with his knee and. You really wonder if he'd get back to the top level, and he's even surpassed that. So, I mean, it's just it's, it's phenomenal. What uh, you know, the, I'm watching the women's final, and I'm thinking, as a fan here, not as a you know, not as a journalist, but as a fan, I'm thinking, if Sloan doesn't win, then she says, ah, you know, that that was a disappointing result. I would love to have had a second major, but you know, hey, it's good, good effort, good week. If Holop mm-hmm. doesn't win, it's going to be crushing. I I could not bring myself. You know, I, I don't know how fans process matches like that, but mm-hmm. I, it was weird to me to watch a match knowing that it was so kind of asymmetrical. That if if Holop loses, she's devastated. If Sloan use, loses, eh, I'll get I'll get him next time. Um, yeah, it wasn't a very equal sort of. The, the risk to reward right, right. <laughs> for each player, I guess, is, is for lack of a better analogy. I mean, there was so much more at stake for Halep. And, you know, I, I kind of felt that when Sloan won the first set and was up 2-0, it was sort of like, okay, this is going to be devastating. Like, you, you're happy for Sloan because she's playing well, playing great tennis, and if she'd kept it up, she would have absolutely deserved to win. And that would have been wonderful. But you, you just, I started at least feeling the, oh, no, like what is Halep going to do if exactly. she can't get through this? And I just remember thinking that because I was calling the match for, for radio. I remember thinking that at that moment. It was the oddest thing. So definitely completely unequal in terms of sort of what each player's challenges were and, and what they faced going in. But, I mean, what an effort for Halep to actually turn that around, especially when you consider some of the matches she's had where she's sort of gone away. Right. And right. she didn't under the biggest of circumstances with the most at stake. And she had to have been thinking, like, not again. Exactly. But she still managed to, to you know, just hang in there, you know, be opportunistic and pull through. So it was it was pretty phenomenal kind of watching that process. Did, did you notice the... I thought, I mean, you always get a little of this, but I thought it was uncommon, the outpouring of congratulations she got from other players. I mean, you know, she'd barely shaken Sloane Stevens' hand, and already, you know, Kvitova had a very nice tweet, and then 
it was this onslaught. I, I can't remember a player mm-hmm. winning, but that isn't Roger Rafa, winning a major and getting that kind of instant feedback from their peers. Yeah, it's hard to think of, of anyone sort of getting that type of reception afterwards. I think so many players just felt her pain. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and, and as a player, you're dealing in your own world and your own disappointment and what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish. So, you know, it's it's hard to really put yourself in another player's shoes. But with all of the disappointment she's had, how close she's been, she's been the number one player now, finished the year there. She's been playing solidly there. And you just felt all of these sort of, you know, just misses. Players really started to feel that for her, which is unbelievable to kind of bring players into that space and to have them really happy, genuinely happy for another player when they finally overcome and, and they kind of get through what is the essence of sport. And that's just picking yourself up and getting back out and trying again and putting it all on the line each time. And I, I thought it was pretty special. I like that. She could have put it off. You gonna put it together at Wimbledon? I, I was just looking at the odds. You want you want to guess who? Uh, you want to guess who number one with the odds makers is? Hmm. Wow. Let me see. I always I always say with the odds makers too, but you you know I mean it's really just this is reflective of what people are betting on, right? It's not it's not like a guy's making yeah. this up. I mean, so I, I, I can't. Would it be somebody like Muguruza or? That's I what I would guess. guess. I can't. It's uh, yeah. Serena and Kvitova are tied. Right now, for number one, with the odds makers, yeah, yeah, six for the to, odds makers, six to one wow. for both. I got six wow. to one, Kvitova and Serena, about seven point three to one, Muguruza, Kerber, mm-hmm. then Sharapova, Halep's not even on the board. Um, what wow, do you think yes. of that? wow. <laughs> I would have, I definitely wouldn't. I mean, I can imagine Serena being up there, but I wouldn't have quite gone that. I would have quite guessed that, but you know she's Serena. Yeah, what can exactly. you say? Um, <laughs> so I got uh, I got five topics for you. Tell mm-hmm. me on a scale of one to ten how much you care about them and what your strong feelings are. Uh, encore coaching, okay. encore coaching, one to ten. Do you, do you care or no big deal? Like care as in I don't I don't like it or I love it. Yeah, exactly. You, you, have a pa- you have a passionate take. You have a hot take. Um, I I don't like it. I I don't like. I wish that would be one thing they would get rid of. Grunted. So that, where would that put it on the scale? I'd Tell say. <laughs> let's say that's a ten. I'm I'm totally with you, but um, good for you. What what about uh, what about grunting? Uh, I'm a, you know I'm about a seven. I'm about a seven. When I'm watching tennis, I'm probably more like an eight. Wow. But overall, six or seven. Mademoiselle <laughs> Rubin, I didn't, uh, I didn't take you for that. Um, <laughs> best, best of three versus best of five. Hmm, that's a that's a good one. I'm, you know, I'm kind of like a five. I, I'm, I can go either way. I can go either way. I mean. There are times when I, I think two out of three would be enough, but then you have an epic and it sort of sways me sort yeah, of the other side of the argument. So I, I could go either way, maybe a five. Um, Roger Federer potentially leaving Nike. Ooh, 
Jamie's shaking her head. Is there news on that? Is that is that is that I not the, happening? I didn't even consider that possibility. Um, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's one of these things where, uh, with the possible exception of Rafa winning 11 titles, this Roger Federer clothing contract is is the story of the week. I mean, I've I've never oh, seen. That, uh, it's been a long time since I've seen. I had not considered that. Um, Could he possibly leave? Is that even a possibility? No, I mean, he has a, a lifetime contract with Wilson, right? So that's right. But he doesn't. He doesn't have anything like that with Nike. Um, huh. No, I mean, you know, honestly, I, I don't know who. Um, I should know this offhand, and I don't. Who your contracts were with? But I, I feel like that we go through this all the time, not just in tennis, but with, you know, the. Sports marketers want the next big thing, and they want young talent. That's and the true. Veteran yeah. athlete says, "Hey, wait a second! Doesn't my brand mean anything to you?" And we, mm-hmm. we exactly a, sort of a this is an old dynamic. Well, it's like Halep. It's like with Halep and Adidas. I mean, that sort of happened, and it was like, okay, she's like one in the world. You know, it didn't quite compute, but I guess they sort of calculated it and, and now, came up uh, with the value, and it didn't match. So it's hmm. funny. I was thinking. I was thinking Nike's probably. Uh, yeah, Nike, Nike's paying some nice bonuses in their very first Grand Slam with Halep, but I suspect they're happy to do it. Right, right. I mean, they're getting the bang for the buck. Exactly. And so it works. <laughs> the um, so I, I I wanted to find your career high ranking. You know what your career high ranking was, by the way. I do know. You do know, six, right? Yes, I six. Good for you. Um, so I'm looking at your, I, you know, because sometimes, uh, tennis websites don't have the functionality they should. I went first mm-hmm. to Wikipedia where I did realize that your career high ranking was six. Mm-hmm. Good for you. That's, a, that's, that's strong. But I also saw this in your bio. Ruben is very private about her personal life. <laughs> um, that's in my bio. That's in your wow. bio. That's right there on your Wikipedia <laughs> that, page. That is, that good. How did that get in my bio? Um, you got to, uh, you know, you can, you can fix your Wikipedia entry, but, but I'm thinking you, you came, uh, you know, you sort of came, a, you came of age at a time when, um, you know, I mean, it, it's, this was right when I first started covering tennis and it was the Williams sisters were coming on the scene and Hingis and Kornikova and mm-hmm. we were still sort of reeling from Steffi had just retired. We were reeling from the, the Celis tragedy still, but it was a, uh, a time when women's Correct. tennis was was very public, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm curious how someone who, uh, according to Wikipedia, is very private about her personal life. How did you sort of handle the culture of the time? Well, I mean, I was sort of under the radar for all of the reasons you just named. I mean, you're talking Hall of Fame players and and you know their retirements and and with Monica, and then right when I sort of came out and made my big push, Venus and Serena weren't far behind. And, of course, they completely changed the landscape. So there are a number of things, I think, that sort of kept me a little more under the radar. And, um, you know, a few injuries early on, so I didn't quite stay out there continuously. I had some stops and starts. But I think it was also just before sort of the age of Twitter where you would not have been able to stay very private. So it was just, I think, sort of the – calm before the storm when I was sort of came up and came out there and nobody really bothered with me. Like I was not that interesting. Oh, stop. <laughs> You're plenty interesting. So, you just didn't uh, draw attention to yourself. You you were fine with that, right? I mean, I, I never got the sense yeah. that you were like, hey, wait a second. I want to be in the photo shoot. Where's my space? Right, right. And you know, I didn't. 
I was pretty focused on my tennis. I didn't go through all the dating and all of that. I mean, now it's sort of more commonplace. And, you know, it's as much the tennis as it is sort of the, the personal red carpet type of stuff and who's dating who, who's the power couple. And I just didn't, I wasn't into all of that at all. So I think it's just a combination of those things that sort of kept me just handling my business and going about it my way. And, uh, you know, it works for me. You've got to do you. That's why we love you. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, do you, um, you know, we, we often say, that, I was thinking about this because we often say this about the contemporaries of Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. Oh, I bet, I bet they wish they played at a different time, and it's sort of this throwaway line. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you, do you think about playing in a different era? You you happy to play when you play? Do you wonder what it would be like to play today? How do you feel about yourself relation to your sort of tennis era? No, I've, I've thought about it, of course. You know, maybe a lot of players have. I don't know. But I have thought about if I played in a different era, if I played sort of with the players now and – you know, just obviously looking at the money. I mean, how it's it's like, whoa, how how does that sort of compare? You know, so I've had those kinds of thoughts. But really, I do not regret playing when I did, and I'm actually very happy that I was able to play at the time I did where I overlapped maybe some different generations of, like, some of the great Hall of Fame players. I mean, you know, if you got to the top ten, you know, you were right behind – three, four, five Hall of Fame players. Right. No right. no question, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So I just feel privileged to have played, you know, players like Steffi and Monica, didn't play them as many times, but to have played them and, and gone up against them, to Rancho Sanchez, to Sabatini, I mean, just, it list goes on, and then to have overlapped into the, with Capriati and, and Lindsay and then Venus and Serena. And, I mean, the list keeps going. And I can say I played those players, practiced with them, a mutual respect. And for me, that's enough. I mean, if you have the respect of your peers and, and these are peers that are pretty, pretty high level, you know, I can definitely, you know, feel good about that. And, and that's enough for me. And that's how I went about my career. And, and I'm good with it. Close friends? Who are, you, who are you friends with? Closest friends, um, I would say, I mean, Lindsay and I are still friends. We were friends, like, early, so we were probably the closest when we first came out. She she talks um, bad about you behind your back. Yeah, you know, that oh. happens. You know, I don't hold it against her. <laughs> um, we're so, kidding. But, um, yeah, and, and, you know, to marry Joe Fernandez, and that's sort of when we were playing, and then it, it went to a number of the European players. Barbara Shett is still a really good friend. Um, Sandrine Testude, who I played doubles with. And so now we sort of still see each other occasionally when we're at the slams. You know, they're maybe playing in the Legends. We play together. You know, they're commentating some of them as well. So those would be a few of some of my, my better friends that we still – are friends now and we keep in contact. So it's kind of nice when you can, uh, you know, have those sort of relationships and, and keep them going through your retirement. You know what I always thought one of the great underrated stories in sports? If, if I told you in uh, the late 90s when you were number six in the world, one day mm-hmm. Steffi Graf's going to be married to Andre Agassi. I would have said you were crazy. Why? They don't even match. How is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> like, they seem like completely different personalities. And, 
but I guess it worked. (laughs) And it's it's funny, when we saw um, Sandrine Testude and I, when we played the finals of the doubles, I think it was in New York at the U.S. Open, we saw them out, we think, on their first date. Oh, man. Steffi and Andre. And it was like, whoa. You know, and it was all very quiet. And, and it was super crazy. And, of course, now years later, you know, all of, all of it is history. But, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to think about how opposites, perhaps maybe me seeing them as opposites and maybe lots of people seeing them as opposites, but how that can attract and work. It's See, now crazy. someone would have put that on Instagram and what do they – what are they doing now, out yeah, together? Now, that would have been huge. But, you know, we didn't take a picture. We didn't put that out there. But it was just it was sort of cool to have a glimpse of that, just a little bit of insight um, as, as into these, you know, Hall of Fame players, I mean, icons at that point. And to just see them quietly having dinner and, you know, talking and clearly starting something. So I remember that. But I, I also think uh... – they have such a conventional life. I mean, it's, it's it's very normal, and they go to their kids' sporting events, and you, you talk to them about their kids, and you know they're they're not. Yes. It's it seems kind of like shocking. they've really uh, yeah no, but they, they really sort of seem to embrace conventional living conventionally, and not the celebrity life. And I was I was thinking, uh, not unlike a tennis player who returns to Lafayette, Louisiana. <laughs> That'd be you. You're still living in L.A. Yeah. As we say, yeah, I made I made that dad <laughs> the joke other the LA. other day, right? Yes, yes, the other LA, I think you called it. Yeah, is the, that the, the LA with better traffic? Um, what <laughs> Definitely you, what, what that. You, uh, t- tell us about life in Louisiana. You know, it's quiet. I mean, it's you know Lafayette, where I live, is sort of it's it's mid-sized, obviously compared to a big city or you know the bigger cities like Baton Rouge and and New Orleans, even. But it has a completely different feel. It's it's family oriented. Um, you know, people sort of like to get together, have a good time, have their drinks. You gotta have a little alcohol and some good food. That's a, a requirement. But it's it's you know sort of it's the mix between really having a good time and, and the party lifestyle, but still being very family oriented. So it's 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 a very cool mix. And with all of my family being around this area. I mean, it's, it works, you know, and I have to travel anyway for work. So Lafayette is as good a place as any to have as my base still. How do you, um, <laughs> it's, it's Cajun, Cajun country or no? It is. It is in the heart of it. Yeah. Southwest Louisiana. I was thinking of it's between uh, Baton Rouge and Lake Charles, right? It is. It is. Um, probably... Not quite equidistant, a little further, going to Lake Charles. Baton Rouge is only about 50 minutes um, across the bridge. So you're kind of central. Um, it's only two hours from New Orleans, so that's an easy weekend trip. We'll go to you know, football games sometimes or basketball games, and we'll make a weekend of it. Um, Saints, I mean, that's, that's huge. That's a religion <laughs> around going here, to too. So it's, it's nice to kind of have you know, some of that. In, in the in the area, not very far away, easily accessible. So it's it's kind of a good spot, good middle ground. And then Houston's only about three hours, and go catch an improv, which my husband and I will do sometimes, or 
you know, go, you know, out to a couple of spots. And, you know, so it's a nice little mix sort of being in this little location. Sounds like sounds like good living. It sounds like not the easiest place maybe to get in and out of, but. Uh... That is the only thing. You, you got to connect somewhere. <laughs> and I have three options. I can go through Houston, Dallas, or Atlanta. That's your, your local airport. Yes. <laughs> what's um, what's what's your connection to uh, what's your connection to tennis these days apart from the work you do at Tennis Channel? Yeah, that's my primary connection. I mean, I've been doing um, television commentating all pretty much since I've retired. I've done it to various the various degrees um, because when I retired, I sort of got into some different things as well. I started um, really focusing on real estate and the real estate company that I had and um, commercial property. And so that became a focus. I got my real estate license. So, you know, I've had, you know, some, some different things I've been doing outside of tennis and I had the freedom to do that when I was, when I retired. So it was, it was nice to just explore, you know, some different areas, but it's great to really still stay connected to the game and connected to the sport. You know, for a minute, when you retire, you've, kind of done it so single-mindedly you want to kind of break from it It's like okay I don't want to think about tennis anymore for a while but then as I got a little further away from retirement it was nice to really be drawn back in and to have that connection and still be able to sort of get right back in it and once you do you sort of gotta be in it the whole year so that's kind of where I am now and it's just managing the time with the family with the baby but I really enjoy it. I bring her with me as often as I can on trips. Most of my trips to Los Angeles, she's with me. Um, so it's just been it's been fun to sort of keep tennis as a focus in my life while all these other things are changing and, and just sort of have it change a little bit with my circumstances. How did you get so good at TV? Who who taught you the the tricks and the am I good at TV? Am, am I good at it? You I, are good I, at it. You're, jury I, I'm not just, uh, I, I am not merely <laughs> saying that because you're our guest. You, you're a rising star. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. No, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's funny when, you know, I've been doing some form of television now. It's been going on eight, nine years. But I haven't done, I did not do it consistently. And that was always my thing. It's harder to sort of get into the flow, into the rhythm. It's like tennis. When, you know, I would, yeah, exactly. You know, when I would commentate somewhere and then I wouldn't work for four or five months. You know, so now I'm getting the opportunity to do it more consistently. And the tennis channel, a family has been great. <clears throat> I'm doing a mix of things from, you know, the studio work to the actual commentating of, of matches, you know, some on-court interviewing I'm getting into. And it's just nice to kind of stretch myself and, I watch people. I watch everybody. I'm watching you. I'm watching my colleagues. And I'm just trying to take it all in and sort of incorporate it into my style. Because when you're asked to do something, you don't have any training. You know, they don't have a class that you, you're in and then you, they say, okay, now go and do the studio work. <laughs> so you kind of have to just hit the ground running. And that's been my philosophy is just watch, listen, learn and then try to be myself and be thoughtful because that's the other thing that is a real focus for me. Be thoughtful and try to try to convey something that maybe is, is coming from a little different perspective. I mean, that's, I think, part of my value 
Right. Um, and, and all of our values, you know, the perspective we have. And, and so I really try and I can do, I think, a better job of that. And so that would be my goal to just keep improving um, in those areas. But it's it's fun. It, it is. I mean, and I'm tremendously lucky to have this opportunity. Oh, that's a great answer. I'll, I'll add to that. I think you come across as very real. So, some people have, you know, and there's a temptation to sort of say something outrageous and have a little shtick mm-hmm. and... You, uh, you, you come across as who you are. Um, all right, people, people <laughs> sent us, uh, all right, what, let's do speed round. People sent a bunch of questions. Okay. One sentence answers for all of these. You ready? One, one sentence? Speed round. Is that what you said? One sentence Yeah, yeah. One, one sentence real quick. Uh, okay. So Chanda Rubin, how was your relationship with the Williams earlier on in your career? My relationship was very good. Practice with Serena when I needed to. Talked in the locker room on occasion. Um, yeah, it was good. Richard Williams as a uh, native of Louisiana gave you something. Uh, yes, it's an icebreaker. Yes, we he, we've had a few conversations about Louisiana. Absolutely. Where he's from? <laughs> he's from Shreveport, though, isn't he? Yeah, he's a little further. It's further north, so a little little different. Hey, R- Richard Williams and Ryan still. Harrison they they got a lot in common. Ah, that's right. That's from Shreveport. <laughs> um, before Yana Devotna passed, did you often think back to that match you played at Roland Garros in 1995? That match was a pivotal match in my career, and I, I definitely would remember it on occasion, and in particular when people would bring it up to me because it was a match that was memorable, and I always appreciated that. I'd love to hear her thoughts on Monica Seles, the impact of the stabbing on tennis history, especially given that she almost prevented Monica from winning her only slam post-comeback. We'll never forget your amazing quarterfinal <laughs> win over Arancha. Uh, yes. I'm not sure what the question is, but uh, thought, thoughts on Monica? Give my thoughts. Well, I mean, she was, you know, what happened to her was unbelievably tragic for tennis and, you know, completely changed the course of history, tennis history. And that's, you know, in a way you would never want to have happen or you'd never want to have happen again. And I mean, I certainly feel privileged to have been able to play her. I would have liked to have denied her that one slam, but after her comeback, however, (laughs) the fact that I could be certainly on the court and a part of that, part of that history, um, you know, I, I appreciate it. And it was one of my most memorable matches of my career as well. Um, what else do we have here? Second slam. Do you ever wish you were more controversial? Every now and then I wish I could be. Really? But I can't. Oh, say something offensive. I, I mean, it's, I, I mean, it's, 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 I just can't. I mean, it'd be forced. <laughs> but, but, but just if you want to piss me off, then maybe we could, we could try that and talk. We, we don't want to do that. <laughs> Um, I mean, we could try that. It it happens. You don't it have any. G- give me your most outrageous opinion. Um, hmm. You got to think about that outrageous. One. I don't know. What's uh? <laughs> I'm I'm gonna make you controversial here, one way or the other. Yeah, you're you're forcing this. Ro- Roger Federer, <laughs> Rafa Nadal, or Novak Djokovic. You can only pick one. That that will be sure to uh, get you two two thirds hmm. two two armies will be after you forever i will i won't make you answer that question um <laughs> yeah what, what's uh when, when do we see you again are you um you'll, you'll be back doing tennis channel this summer i will be i'll be doing uh newport 
So that'll be my next okay. uh, TC gig. I'll be there over the weekend. So that should be fun. That should be good. And then I'll, you know, do some more stuff over the course of summer. So heating up. I don't think you sound so very private about your personal life. I learned about New Orleans. I learned about I'm Louisiana open, here. Right? We got to work I'm on that. Pretty, uh... I, you know, you know what it was, John. I didn't have a personal life. I just realized that's why it was private. You're practicing your tennis. <laughs> you know what All right, this was a uh, <laughs> this was a pleasure. I think people will uh, get a sense of why you were so well liked on air. Um, we're going to make you a little more controversial. Next time I see you, we're going to have. Uh, you're going to come up with something really outrageous to say. All right. Okay. Let's, let's, that's a good, good test. I like it. The, um, I like right. it. Go, uh, <laughs> take some time. Go be a mom. Go be a wife. I'll actually, um, that's exactly right. I'm going to pick up my baby right now. See? So I appreciate it. That's perfect. Perfect timing. Don't let us keep you. <laughs> um, this was a pleasure. We'll do it again. Okay. It was enjoyed it. All right. Thanks. Take friend. care. Take okay. care. All right. Thanks to Chanda for stopping by. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Jamie Lasanti. Jamie, let's talk a little tennis. Um, missed you over the last uh, two weeks. You consumed the French Open 2018 uh, from this side of the ocean. What are, uh, you know, sometimes you get so close to these events, you lose sight of the real stories. It's funny, too, because other times, like, I hadn't even heard. Did you hear this thing where Serena Williams was asked a question in a press conference that referenced Maria Sharapova and Donald Trump? I did not. All right. Uh, no, I didn't. Apparently, big big story, and it was sort of one of these got picked up by the interwebs. And uh, I think big story. It, it depends on like what lane of the interwebs you were in. I mean, it really does. It really depends. So I'm telling you, it's the problem. This is a larger point, but it is a problem with this curated social media world that we live in. You lose all sight and all perspective over what's a big story and what isn't. It's, exactly. Um, Roger Federer's clothing contract right now is. Big story. Neck and neck with, uh, you know, North Korean summits in my in my universe. Can you believe it? The summit or Roger Federer? <laughs> Roger Federer. Oh, okay, okay. I was going to say. Um, no, I don't want to Denuclearizing the peninsula. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what's what's your take on that? Uh, I think it's incredible. I um, When I first saw it, I was like a little bit behind on it. Like, I don't know why I missed it, but I missed it. And then I was like going back and saying like, this has to be a rumor. Like I must've missed some like, ha ha at the end of it. The onion strikes again. No, this, this was a big was, story at, at the French open. There were murmurs that uh, this negotiation had sort of gone off the rails and that Roger had been playing without a contract with Nike for weeks and weeks, but that happens from time to time. And especially with, with Roger not playing, maybe they're just going to, cross some T's and dot some I's. And then I was told, no, 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 this is really a fairly tense negotiation. And what I had heard initially was that there were not just sports brands, but fashion brands involved. And, you know, I don't know, you tell me, what's a fashion? Louis Vuitton or Christian Dior. I mean, this this went beyond sort of Under Armour, Adidas, Nike, Uniqlo, which doesn't do footwear. But, um, you know, as we record this on Tuesday, it does seem like uh, there is yet to be official confirmation you, you're checking right now? Uh, no, is there, official I, confirmation? there is no official confirmation. I'm checking on a photo because um, Federer arrived in Stuttgart. Do you want me to read a text I got from someone who's very much in this world? Surely. Uh, why don't I do that since he, we're... Uh... He arrived wearing a non-Nike, oh, really? non-Uniqlo t-shirt. It seems to have some some design on it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you what a, a 
source who's very much uh, entrenched in this world writes. Go ahead. While Nike keeps many of their athletes under contract post-retirement, the fee associated with such ambassadorship deals drops precipitously. Nike's a publicly traded enterprise. Their core mantra is performance and top dollar endorsement deals must be limited to those actually performing on the field or court. Um, let's compare that to Uniglo, which does not have the same shareholder scrutiny. But here are the key points. Tokyo is hosting the 2020 Olympics, and Uniglo has a once-in-a-generation opportunity to promote its brand on a worldwide stage, um, including perhaps RF playing his final Olympic Games. If Uniglo can pay Nishikori $20 million, it can certainly afford Roger at $30 million. As RF nears retirement, the media impressions of him will skyrocket, further enhancing their ROI. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think at some level this is, you know, this happens all the time, right? Nike wants the hot young thing, and they want LeBron James when he's 21 and not when he's 33. And whether it's Agassi or Venus Williams, we see this all the time, that the veteran athlete feels like they're being disrespected and Nike is sort of interested in playing uh, catch a rising star. I get that, but my one issue with that message is so he's he's not playing anymore because he he's suddenly you know not part of competition because he's he decided not to play the French. Like I mean, where does it where where do you gather that he is no longer part of the competition just because he's playing a streamlined schedule and he's sort of yeah I don't, nearing I don't know retirement? What, um, no, I mean I think it's. I don't, I don't know how much of this is performance in terms of athletic performance and performance in terms of sales, but uh, I, I'm just this these sort of dynamics play out quite frequently with with veteran athletes. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I've seen this enough. You know, Andre Agassi played his last U.S. Open, I believe, wearing Adidas. Like, it's, it doesn't shock me, but I can tell that I'm in the minority because this was with the possible Rafa Nadal. Won his 11th French Open title the day this story broke, and uh, it's been Roger Federer. And what's he going to wear when he appears in Stuttgart? Uh, I think I think it's most surprising because there's always been a you know special Roger Nike relationship. They've always kind of done things with him that they maybe don't do with other athletes. The RF thing obviously is huge and plays a big role there. So there's just a lot more involved. Um, and I think it's just jarring to think of him in any anything else, especially as he gets to that point in his career. I mean, on the flip side, wouldn't Nike want to kind of round out their relationship with him and as he kind of nears retirement? I don't know. Um, there are business justifications uh, for everything. No, I mean, at some level, it's just the, 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 the numbers make sense. I'm, I'm interested in this RF. I mean, usually what happens when player X, who I don't know who's an example, gives – Throw out an example of an athlete that switched brands. I don't know. When, no, Djokovic switched. Okay, I was thinking non-tennis, oh, but okay, yeah, but sorry. all right, so fine. So Djokovic switches. Um, who's a who's a non-tennis athlete? I don't know. When switched. Derek Rose switches from Nike to Adidas, I don't know. Whatever, whatever it is, there's right. usually a there's usually sort of a sell-off period for six months. You can get these shoes, and then we're going to stop making the shoes of this athlete, right? right? Um, Shaquille O'Neal is no longer with Reebok. We're going to have six months and get rid of our Shaquille shoes. I don't know what you do though when you have this signature brand. I mean, this this right. RF line is is something completely different than the Andy Roddick Reebok shoe. But um, anyway, it's uh, I guess we'll see what he uh, what he shows up wearing. I mean, my my one take on this is J- Japanese brand that will have a presence, even if they're not an official sponsor, they will have a 
presence at the 2020 games. I think it's natural to wonder uh, if Federer's availability two summers from now figures into this. Hmm. Thoughts? You have any? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a gamble, isn't it? Well, or or else uh, maybe best efforts have been made to keep playing for two more years and appear in Tokyo. We shall see. All of this is speculation. <sighs> um, all right, let's go back to uh, the actual Grand Slam tournament that ended fewer than 48 hours ago <laughs> enough of this apparel nonsense um what um what, what else struck you watching from here uh i really really enjoyed the women's final great uh, match my right saturday was much better than my sunday uh tennis wise tennis wise um yes great match sloan won the first set i was very torn i didn't know what to think because on one side of me i got called unpatriotic in the office for my pick um, so I was a little uh, in this office. In this oh, office. We, we're more involved in um, that. So I was I was a little hesitant to say, oh, well, you know, I want I want this to go to three. Um, but in deep in my heart, I said this. I uh, this was a real, you know, brain versus heart kind of thing for me. I really wanted Simona to win, uh, you know, win it and finally break over that barrier. It was so great to see her just like. I always felt like she just had this this tenseness to her. If that makes sense. Yeah. And, no, we were talking about that with Lindsay uh, a few weeks ago. And a- absolutely. And I just you could I, I I said this you could really see it melting off of her after like in those moments afterwards, and I'm sure it continued for the next days after that. We were saying too that um, this does not go linearly. You you lose your first major final. And it's a one. It's sort of exponential. You you you're zero for two, and it's a four. You're zero for three, and it's an eight. I mean, losing four straight finals. Right. All of them would have been in three sets after that that second and set. Her and her opponents in those some of her opponents in those matches were, I mean, like last year's French yeah. Open. A track match with Wozniacki is one thing, but Ostapenko and then. Right. So right. I was very happy. Uh, the quality of the match was amazing. I thought, um, you know, Sloan was very gracious. I uh, I really enjoyed. In your fifty thoughts, um, you had one point about Sloan's attitude, uh, the good and the pros and cons of right, it. How right. it's very good for her. Um, it's been very good for her in the past, you know, year year and a half. But that. You know, it will. Um, she'll have a difficult time becoming number one with that attitude, which is sort of the accepting of her uh, being up and down in her career. So you know, some days she's going to be playing in Grand Slam finals, and some days she's going to lose in you know the first round of some. Oh, look some at her! Tournament. Look at her fall. You right. Pick, pick so an event. Yeah. I, I, I really like that because I think there was a theme between Sloane and Simona in this final, where both of them sort of had that self possession that you talked about, where. Simona was so upfront about her shortcomings and she just sort of said, you know, it is what it is. She laughed about it. And like, I think when you're able to get to that point and not be so serious, like in any, any aspect of your life, it's sort of like, there was a nice lesson to take from the two of them where like, you know, like in in Sloan's case, I'm going to lose in the first round and like kind of the ability for her to not let the pressure from, you know, the outside sources get to her and just kind of play, in her own lane and you know not let that affect affect her i think for both of them it was um it's really you, impressive you gotta do you i got i got scolded for saying this i, I can't remember the word a complimentarian i was accused of being a complimentarian oh. not sure what that means but uh i think for yet another slam i think the women's draw sort of carried the day here and i thought that was the case in australia I For certainly. Sure I thought. I thought the same thing here. I thought there were. A, I thought the majority of the matches were the better matches were the women's matches. I thought the final 
God bless Rafa. We all, I mean, I, I think a sporting treasure. I mean, what, what he's done is just remarkable and will stand the test of time, but that wasn't particularly compelling as a sporting event, no. after, especially after that first set. The women's was great. Um, you know, Sloane Stevens, 8-6 in the third with Camilla George. I mean, even sort of the middle of the tournament matches, I, I remember the women's much better. Um, I think, you know, I, th- I think men's and women's tennis really go well together these days. That. Because you have those stars at the top of the yeah, men's you got game the Roger Rafa the... show, and that's awesome. But then you yeah. also have these subplots, and yeah. anyway, um, did people miss me when I was gone? Yeah, of course. All right, um, I just miss, kidding. I, I missed uh, the you know the the company here. Hey, thanks. Um, <laughs> no, it's fun coming back to the office. All right, that uh, that does it for this week. On that note, um, we will have another guest next week again. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. Thanks to our guest, Chanda Rubin. Did you like Chanda? Loved she's it. a cool kid. We love kid. She's like, I sound like the guy calling Serena Williams baby. Um, Shanna's a lovely woman. All right. Uh, if people want to subscribe, how do they do this again? I'm I'm not going to go through my, uh, I, I don't have my step-by-step <laughs> screenshot pulled up. Um, you iTunes, have to just go Stitcher. on iTunes and click on your podcast app and there's a place to review. Leave a review? Leave a review. All I have right. to actually check if people are listening. We didn't say leave review for a long time. Um, all right. Anyway, nice talk this week. We will have uh, another guest. I think we're going to get um, – we will have a Strokes of Genius podcast coming up uh, before Wimbledon as well. Uh, maybe we'll rope in uh, our friend Ted Robinson. But anyway, um, guys, feel free to keep sending the guest suggestions. They're always appreciated. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again in seven days. Have a good week, everyone. Thank mm-hmm. you.